hey, if you're interested in almost doubling your rents, you're going to love this upcoming episode. Let's go! Welcome to the Russell Westcott Podcast, helping real estate investors like you acquire the inspiration, knowledge, and skills that you need to start, grow, and scale the real estate investing portfolio of your dreams. Hey gang, how's it going? Russell Westcott, uh, having a, I hope you're having yourself a wonderful day. I'm, I'm sorry, I need to slow down here a little bit. I'm cranking away here. It's uh, I'm recording this late in the day. This is going to be my last thing on my um, critical task checklist that I have to get done for the day. And, and I'm feeling really good. I'm, I'm uh, As soon as I get this done, I get to have my fifth item crossed off. I get to have a victory on the day. So... And then after that, I got to have the fun part about uh, about packing. I got to get get everything packed up. I got to go head out to see mom and dad. Uh, mom and dad, you know, I know I had a couple people ask me a question recently. I know I mentioned it a couple, maybe five, six, seven. I don't even know how many episodes ago. I mentioned mom and dad had put their house up for sale in smaller town Saskatchewan. And, uh, and I had some people asking if it sold. And, and actually, it has just just recently sold. Um, they're actually moved into another place. So I'm going out. They've, they've only bought and sold one house in like 50 years. So they, they need a little help with the, um, with a little bit of the paperwork and a little bit of what to do next and all that kind of fun stuff. But more importantly, out there to help them with a garage sale and the pack and move. And I think a lot of that was taken and already done, but you know, just looking forward to hitting out to the prairies to go see, Go see some family, go see some friends, connect with um, some business partners, connect with some people across the across the prairies, and I decided I'm gonna I'm gonna drive this time. Um, just the whole air, airplane airports just are ridiculous right now. The price of rental cars and the price of um, airplane travel is is quite ridiculous. So you know what? I'm gonna hit the road. I got my um, got my audio books all lined up, and probably I'm figuring. Round trip is going to be probably about three thousand k, probably about uh, you know thirty plus hours. Lots of lots of windshield time, lots of thinking time, and you know maybe lots of podcast um, planning time at the same time. So so, anyways, back to the, the quick story. Mom and dad sold their place. <laughs> no, honest to goodness. So gang, I don't know if you if you don't know the story. So let me just paint a picture. So picture your real estate market where you're at. If you had act, if you had a, um, let's call it a three thousand square foot two story house, four bedroom, three bath, like just a fantastic house, beautiful house, well hardwood, oak, just immaculate craftsmanship. Like my dad built the house back in the eighties, um, and he put in extra time and effort, and where there was code for this many layers of vapor, he put more, and he just he uh, immaculately built house. It's on a corner double lot, probably 8,000 square foot lot, enough for the house, the attached garage, plus an entire big giant garden, plus a large um, deck and patio and and um, grass and yard and all that kind of stuff. So 8,000 square foot lot, 3,000 square foot house, you know, four bedroom, two baths. So what would that, what would that probably go for in, in your neck of the woods? I know where I, where the area I live in a suburb of Vancouver, that those things are like a couple million bucks or more. Um, Mom and dad sold the place for $183,000, right? Small town Saskatchewan, right in potash country. 
Um, and I was just joking with them. I said, guys, um, you know, you today in today's cost, you cannot even build a house. The materials alone would probably be significantly more than the $182,000. So guys, gang, there are real estate markets in this country that are selling below replacement value. Like I'm not talking replacement value of even factoring in if you factored in the labor and the land. I'm just talking replacement value of the actual building materials, right? But it's been it was a wonderful home. Um, I think way back in the day when they did build it, I believe it was probably around fifty or sixty thousand dollars. So you know what? The end of uh, at the end of this transaction, lived in it for all these years, and it turned out to be a wonderful property that they you know did end up making some money off of it at the same time. So real estate, when held to uh, over a course of time, is a fantastic wealth generator. And the other thing is, um, it's amazing what you can find in some smaller towns across the prairies, that there are truly houses being sold for less than replacement value. Okay, gang, so so like I said, that's going to be the last thing I'm, I'm after this podcast and all the recording and get the um, materials off to the editing team. I'm going to be packing and pointing the car east and heading out to the prairies. Okay, so... Today's episode, this is going to be a fun one. Um, I had to go back to, I think it was episode 16 was when I had the first conversation. So get it out of the way. I had a wonderful conversation with Mr. Super Sweets himself, Derek Peaver. Derek and I had a wonderful conversation about what uh, he's been doing over the past couple of years. He's making a fairly, uh, fairly, I would say, a, a monumental pivot and a monumental shift in things. Not in his business model, which his business model is absolutely brilliant. I love his business model. He 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 works and he is custom and he has actually trademarked the name Super Sweets. So what he and we talked a little bit about the Super Sweet model and how the name came out and how where he learned all this from and we talked a lot about that. But essentially, what he does is he takes higher end properties fully kits them out with furnishings, linens, you name it. Essentially, I think they brand it as just bring your suitcase, unpack and your, you know, unpack your suitcase and you're good to go. So he, he specializes in that. He specializes in, um, you know, not, we're not talking short-term rentals. We're not talking the Airbnbs, the vacation rentals. We're talking about um, insurance dis- displacement, insurance claims. We're talking about executive corporate rentals. We're also talking about what he's coined the term, the in-betweeners, about people that maybe have, you know, are building a house and it's not quite ready, but they've moved out of their other place and they need a place for, you know, three, four, five, you know, a few months while their new, next place is... Um, is um is being built things like that so insurance corporate rentals executive rentals in betweeners and he is getting and he shared in here in today's episode he shared some of the numbers and I actually just kind of fell off my chair on on the premium that he's getting for his furnished suites versus if it was just a straight rental now. and we cover this in the episode. It's not always what it always seems on the surface. There's always a lot more risk. There's always a lot more, you know, nuances than what we just covered here. But at the same time, it is a business model that does produce more cash flow. 
at a cost of more time, management, systems, policies, and procedures, which is what we talk an awful lot about here as well. Plus, we dove deep into why he is uh, pivoting out of one of his major uh, markets. He invests in the lower mainland, the Fraser Valley. Fraser Valley. <laughs> I must be uh, uh, getting a little bit of, uh, you know, looking forward to hitting the road here. I can't even talk. <laughs> he invests in the Fraser Valley of the lower mainland. And he um, has now been pivoting out. I think in the numbers he shared, I think these he's sold about eighty some places. And uh, and and some of you might go and sold eighty. Man, I wish I owned eighty. Yeah, he still has a fairly large portfolio. Over, I think uh, the number we quoted here was a round number of one hundred and fifty properties. And he has goals of adding another 50 more, which is what he's pivoting towards. So we talked an awful lot about why he is divesting of from one of his markets and why he's going to another market and where that market that he's going to. Now, I'm not going to give it away here in the intro. So you got to stick around and you got to dive into it. And we talk in depth about where he's going. We do a little bit of case studying about some of the different price points, some of the different models, some of the fundamentals that are going in each of the regions. So this is a fun one. And, uh, you know, in, in this one, I, I have a, a couple asks of you within this interview. Now, as you listen to it, you will know the asks. If you're interested in some more information about a couple things, about some of the education, the ed... <laughs> Oh, we're having fun here today. The education, the education materials. If you're interested in learning more about the furnished suite business, by all means, uh, let me know. Drop an email. Plus, also, if you're interested in getting some more information about the area and the upcoming um, um, projects that Derek and I are looking at. If you're interested in either one of those things, by all means, just send us an email. Send myself an email at hello at russellwestcott.com. And uh, we'll, I'll book a time for us to just have a conversation and see if this is a fit for you. Okay, gang. So make sure you stick around right to the very end. A special message as we wrap things up here. But with all that being said, let's just jump right into it. Let's get after it. Derek Peaver, Mr. Super Sweet himself. Welcome to the show, my friend. How's it going, Derek? Excellent, Russ. Thanks for having me. Hey, Derek, I know we're doing this on computer and we're, we're, you know, we're trying to get the technology all, all sorted out. Honest to goodness, if, we look, if I got onto the roof of my house and looked out over, looked out over the Pitt River, I could, I could, you wave from your place, we could probably see each other, couldn't we? Yeah, that's right. How long has it been since uh, since you moved out to the to the ranch there, my friend? It has been since December 2018. 2018. Wow, that's been quite a while. Yeah. It's been a lot of uh, a lot of mowing ever since. <laughs> a lot of, how much how much land do you have, brother? Uh, it's 13.68 acres. Wow. Is it is yeah. it all cleared, or is there a lot of brush or bush, or what's all what's going on there? Well, no, I, I actually uh, call the majority of, majority of the property a wildlife corridor, so that saves me from doing any maintenance whatsoever. <laughs> <laughs> Just let it let it go natural, right? 
That's right. Nice. It belongs to the wildlife. And, uh, but I, you know, our, our inside yard that I have to maintain is about five acres. So that keeps, keeps, keeps you busy. Nice. Well, I'll tell you what, um, gang, Derek and I have just reconnected again after a couple of years and, uh, you know, this, this wonderful thing about a global pandemic and, and Derek and I have reconnected again over some breakfasts and multiple zoom conversations. And, and, and it was high time that we recorded another podcast again, because I was just going back through my notes, Derek, it was episode 16 on the podcast. And that, and that was probably recorded in one of your super suites, probably in 2018, maybe 29. I think it's 2018. Yeah. Hudson's loft. I think it was 511. Do you still own it? No, we sold those actually. Yeah, we owned them from I believe 2010 to 2015 or so. Okay. So so here's what I'm going to encourage everybody to do. You know, normally on a podcast when you're having a conversation with somebody, they tell you about their backstory and all this kind of stuff. But we told that story. Derek's backstory is in great detail and depth on episode 16 and 17, I believe. So if you go back the podcast or YouTube channel, you will find Derek's backstory. But what I'm most interested in, Derek is what have you been up to lately? Because I saw this wonderful presentation of a big pivot you're doing. So why don't you fill in the gaps for everybody from, say, 2018 to now, what you've been doing? Sure. And I realize I misspoke with the dates on Hudson's Loft. I think it was actually 2015 to 2020 or something like that. But the years are just clicking by. So (laughs) forgive me for that. But um, yeah, so basically, after we spread across Canada, the, the last stuff that we were buying in Canada was probably, I would say, you know, a couple of years ago, pre-sale. So we're just getting possession of, of a few of the last ones that we bought, um, you know, kind of right after the 2020 COVID uh, issues. Correct me on these years if I, if I get them wrong. But, um, <laughs> hey, Derek, some days I don't know what day it is. So, so you, get, you, get a hard, you get a hard pass. <laughs> Awesome. But yeah, no, we, we haven't been buying essentially in a while, quite a while, you know, it's like that quote, what the wise man does in the beginning, the fool does in the end. So, you know, once it got really overheated, that's when we're shying away, you know, be greedy when others are fearful and fearful when others are greedy. So we're very cautious with that, with, with the way we buy with pre-sales. Um, but um, we've been mainly a seller, you know, over the last couple of years. So we, we, we're always purging. Right. And, uh, when I hear things like condos are bidding a hundred thousand over asking in Abbotsford, and I've never seen that in my life, then I'm purging everything I can possibly purge to feed that market. Cause the market's there to serve you, not to command you. Right. So it's like, you know, if the fish are all biting, then I'm going to, I'm going to feed that. And, and that's one of the things I really like about condos and townhouses is that you can be quite nimble when you, when you get word on the street of that, that market demand, that herd of buyers that's, you know, lost out on four or five, six deals. And they just, they're just, you know, um, crazy bidding war going on. That's, that's when we were selling a lot of uh, BC stuff. And that's when I started to, you know, look abroad where the next opportunities are. You know, I do like Calgary and Edmonton, but you know, it's been a tough, tough go out there for a long time. So I don't have a, a big appetite out there right now. And that's, when through certain um, coincidences and whatnot, which we can get into if you want, uh, uh, led me to Austin, Texas, 
Uh, you know, a few, I started looking at the few big markets in the States, like the Floridas or the Nashvilles or the Boise's, you know, these growth, growth areas and ultimately landed on, on Austin, Texas area. And the whole corridor really from Dallas, Fort Worth down to San Antonio with Austin and in the middle kind of reminds me of the Cal Redmonton corridor, you know, just, uh, um, a really booming GDP in that whole area. Now, so, okay, so you <laughs> were reading the tea leaves out in the Fraser Valley in British Columbia and being an astute investor of somebody who's, how long have you been doing this? When did you buy your first place again? So I like to say my light bulb got turned on December 2005 Yep. Uh, by Kelly Fry and Rich Dad Poor Dad, the book. And then I got right at it and we bought our first condo in March 2006. Okay. In Agassiz, BC for 65000 So 15, 16 plus years coming on to two decades here very shortly. Uh, right. Okay, so you were kind of seeing the way the economic fundamentals were, were shaping up and the price points and all these kind of things. And your business model of furnished executive corporate rentals, probably your margins were starting to shrink and shrink and shrink and shrink and shrink. And shrink on that, that you just said, you know what, I can't just keep going down that path. And you had a good portion of your portfolio out in the Fraser Valley of British Columbia. Is that a, is that a correct assessment? Yes. Yeah. You know, the, um, the prices just, were just going up too fast, um, too much, too fast. And that's, you know, not when we're trying to buy. Yep. So we want to be buying when, when we're the only ones out there and, um, Yeah. And then so you 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 took a, long, a look and said, you know what, I've got big giant goals. I got a goal of a, bi a billion dollar goal that you want to accomplish. And, and it's totally okay if your chosen market up to this point, if it doesn't make sense anymore. I think you use the analogy of fishing. Um, mm -hmm. if, the, if the fish were no longer in the pond, time to go to another pond that has more fish in it that are hungry. Yeah, absolutely. And it's really just, you know, the affordability. Like when, when, I, when I looked at, an active deal in Austin on what I, what I could buy versus square footage and quality of construction. And uh, the fact that, you know, a townhouse here, they're going to add on GST and um, transfer tax and all this stuff. Whereas in Texas, there's none of that. Um, and the rents, you know, the yields are just so much better. And when I compare Austin, which is like a global city to the Fraser Valley, which is also, you know, outside of Vancouver, highly desirable global city, if you will. But I don't think quite near, not nothing near the growth potential of the Austin area. Yep. So this made a lot of sense to okay. me. And I've, I've looked across the line several times over the years, but never really had that motivation, you know, to. And, and when I went and looked at Washington and Bellevue and areas outside of Seattle, and then I looked at what we could buy in the Fraser Valley and Abbotsford and Surrey. I just thought, oh, it makes no sense to to purchase down there at that time. But now it's reversed where, you know, they thought they were crazy prices when their median price hit 650,000 U.S. But to me, I'm thinking I'm kind of with that mentality of people from the Bay Area or Vancouver area or, you know, Los Angeles or New York where it still looks very cheap to them. Right. Okay, so you are now divesting of your 
lower mainland British Columbia Fraser Valley portfolio. And you did quite well, haven't you, on some of your properties? I think you shared a few of the numbers. You bought in when when prices were lower and it made sense and you sold at a, you know, maybe just before the peak, I would imagine. I think the absolute peak of late was just like February of this year, but you were divesting over the last couple of years, were you not? Yeah, it's good to spend a little minute on this actually, because it's interesting. You know, when I first started buying 2006, it was a rising market. Um, You know, we were able to refinance, recycle our down payment into the next deals, rent those out, keep keep the ball rolling. Um, But then from about 2008 for a long time, like till 2016, I would say I was what they call, you know, real estate and equity rich, but cash broke. And, you know, just in the trenches, you know, covering vacancies, covering, um, you know, a tenant that doesn't pay or a renovation that you didn't expect or wondering if you can fill your gas tank. Meanwhile, you own, you know, 50 plus properties. And there was zero appreciation in the Fraser Valley uh, east of 200 Street for the entire period. There was actually a little mini boom that went to 200 Street and then stopped. And and I was and then the market cooled again in like 2012. And I was heartbroken because I, I thought, oh, finally the ripple effect is going to make it to where all my properties are. And I remember I met with you know a real estate mentor of mine, uh, Diane Dells from Quantum Properties, and she just reassured me like, you know. Abbotsford is a growth area, you know, just hang in there um, because it was so disheartening, you know, but then right around 2016, 17, that's when I like to say that the wave washed over me and, and all of a sudden properties are jumping 50 grand, hundred grand. And, you know, I positioned myself for that, like over 10 years, it wasn't like, okay, the market's heating up in Abbotsford and I'm going to get a bunch of properties and capitalize on this. It was like, I was just sitting there when the wave kind of washed over me. So that's when I really, I didn't sell anything. Um, you know, I tried to sell things and, and wouldn't get the dollar I wanted. So we always rented them. I did not exhale uh, in the portfolio for like stubbornly for like almost 10 years, you know, just tight uh, doing it full time since 2009, basically just making the wage of a property manager. And, and then um you know, you kind of know what's happened since 2016, 17, it really took off. And then it COVID cooled it off, created a buying opportunity. I kind of went full in again, seeing that. And then since the market went crazy after COVID, um, purged, you know, a lot. Wow. Hang on a sec, Derek. Woo wee, brother. Here it is. Woo, it's getting hot in here, brother. And oh, I know, you know what's coming next. <laughs> it's bomb time. So, so, holy moly, there's a lot to unpack there. Okay, so number one, you've been doing it full-time for a long time, and you, you know, you tighten the belt, you did whatever it took to make this work, to make the portfolio work. You were in the market uh, when things were really, really tight and really no growth whatsoever. You had some good coaching, some good mentors on your side that said, keep in it, keep going, keep looking. And then when the time was right, you just, you went, crazy, right? You went, uh, how many, how many properties did you acquire in that acquisition phase during that time, Derek, to your best estimation? Um, you know, as soon as how I'm sitting here on my computer, 
I can actually give you from my sold properties log. Yeah. So, so gang, just while he's looking that up, you know, that you've transacted lots of properties when you don't know it off the top of your head. (laughs) So here's the answer. I've sold 85 properties in the last two, two years in my whole career. In your whole career. Yep. The first one I sold was 2009. I sold just a handful up to 2016 and then boom, you know, 17 sold, uh, 10 or so 18 was probably 15, 20, 19 and so on. And then, so what you've done now, so obviously you still own some properties in the Fraser Valley. You own, you know, your, your jewels in the crown there still, you do you not? How many, how many places are you hanging on to in the Fraser Valley still? I got a nice round number right now, and it's accurate for a change. Uh, 150 titles right now, including Canada and U.S. We've got just four titles in the U.S. so so far. 150, nice round number. 150 is the the true number. Yeah, yeah. I just counted them. And and, and, so, and we also have a few uh, sublet properties. Yep. You know that uh, from back years back, I've I've rented them long term, furnished them, and re-rented them. So those are not in that that number. Okay. So, so essentially, you know, let's call it 145 and change are still in Canada that you own either a portion of a a piece of, or fully yourself or a part with a joint venture partner or all the above. Right. Right. Okay. Um, Lower mainland, how many do you still have out in the lower mainland type of thing? Is that the bulk of that number? Yeah, it is. Um, It's easier for me to think what's outside of the province and that's you know, maybe 20 or so in Alberta, uh, four, sorry, six in Manitoba and Winnipeg, three in Ottawa because we sold one. And uh, I think that's it for Canada. So the rest are here. So let's call that 30 and change. So 115 places in the lower mainland. But mainly in Abbotsford, right? Yeah. That's where we're based. So probably three quarters of the BC stuff is Abbotsford. Yeah. But so let's let's be really clear is when you say you're divesting, you didn't sell you didn't just sell everything off, but you sold if you sold 80 some places over the course of, you know, the last decade um, out of 100 and some, that's a huge portion of your portfolio that you have divested. And it kind of made me sad because I wanted to just accrue and keep everything. But I learned that you need to exhale, you know, and especially when it is harvest time, because I think in seasons um so you know right now we kind of gone into summer in a lot of these markets where you the noxious bugs and the weeds are trying to take the garden and you know you're you're fighting it but at harvest time you have to purge and then you go into these slower periods of recession or uh you know soft rental markets with your best like you say jewel in the crown properties you, you can withstand the storm the best then yeah now now here's here's something really refreshing gang and this is something that i was very slow to learn. I should have probably been talking to Derek a little bit more over the years. Is gang, you don't have to hold a property forever. Um, you can build a portfolio. Let's just use the number 150. Let's say you built 150 property. You can sell out 10, add 10 in, and you have a portfolio of 150. That hold 150 properties forever, right? You don't have to hold the one on. 272, you know, First Avenue, you don't have to hold that property forever, but hold a portfolio forever. And properties are coming in, properties are going out, and you're always optimizing your asset mix. Would that be a good thing? Something that you're subscribed to, Derek? 
hundred percent. Yeah. Oh, uh, you know, an old rain, member, John Waite, I think his name was, I don't know if you remember him. He used to drive the Rolls Royces and stuff Yep. He's from Abbotsford. I, I uh, reached out to him and said, Hey, could I take you out for breakfast? Uh, had me over to his home and showed me this master analyzer spreadsheet that he designed really smart guy who designed uh, cabinet software was his main business and did well. And then took that money from that and invested in real estate. And, um, are you there, Russ? Yep. Oh, perfect. Your um, picture just disappeared on the sword. Right here, brother. <laughs> um, but this master analyzer spreadsheet, what it does is you put every property detail, you know, mortgage number, uh, current interest rate, variable prime, you know, what the taxes are, every detail to do with the property is in this one master spreadsheet and rank the properties on cap rate. So then your bottom, like five, you're always looking to basically purge, you know, it's like a portfolio management system. Hmm. Yeah, actually, you just mentioned the name. I jotted down John Wade. I do have to, I haven't had a chance to talk to John for a while. I think he had a, you know, a, a run of some unfortunate properties up in Fort McMurray over mm-hmm. over a little while ago. So he's definitely mm-hmm. due for a check-in. And I, I'm very familiar mm-hmm. with what you, what you said. And here's the thing is, I wish I would have listened maybe when he shared that with me. I, I was always of this prescribed to buy this property, hang on to it forever, even though it's a pile of crap, right? It was just a mm. garbage property, but I'm going to make it work. I'm going Plus, to do it. You're, we're the same. <laughs> you know, I'm too stubborn to sell at a loss. I'll wait forever. And one of the things that, one of the mistakes I made, and I learned this from Randy Dick, I love this quote, is, is you don't sell too soon in the recovery. So when uh, 2016 rolled around and finally my dogs that I had paid 164, they went to 120, for example, worst deal I ever did in Abbotsford, ugly building, you know, wasn't a super sweet or anything. But as soon as I could make 20 grand on it, I said, finally, let's dump this sucker. I'm so tired of all the drama that goes with this one. But if I just would have hung in there and let that recovery get another year of momentum, you know, that person picked up all my equity from like the eight year hold yep. in a year. But you know, I, I do like leaving something on the table for somebody else, right? That's Don, I think always yep. says that. Yeah. But there is, there is also something to be considered is sometimes no matter how long you wait, certain areas will not transition. And I know right, that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I know that for a fact is I, I'm sitting there going, I'm into some for 20 years. And I keep yeah. saying, this is the year, this is the year of the transition. And and what happens sometimes is other areas transition and they push the riffraff out of those and the riffraff congregates into the areas that aren't going to transition. Maple Ridge. Yeah, exactly. So. I decided strategically, you know, we're pulling out of Maple Ridge because I had a 10-year hold of downtown properties that were supposed to be in the BIA, the business improvement area. Yeah. Now, gang, here's if you're listening and watching this on listening on podcast or watching on YouTube, right? So you're 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 getting some experience here. You're getting some wisdom from people between Derek and I. We are close to 40 years experience between the two of us. We have the battle wounds, we have the scars, we have everything to prove it. And you're getting an education on what it takes to survive long term in this business because it's not easy. And I'm often you know, a little, not disappointed. I'm often new investors within the last five years, last two and a half years specifically. 
a new investor that's just getting into the game recently, uh, almost had it, it was spoiled to a point that they think what they went through in the last two years is a normal real estate market. That That's not even remotely normal. That is extremely abnormal, That what you went through. And I have a, the big challenge that investors have is they have unrealistic expectations that have been built over the last two years. Would that be something you'd agree to, Derek? Yeah, it's been it's been a crazy few years, that's for sure. Like I feel like I've been through, you know, three or four distinct like turnups and turn downs, just to what extent, you know, like 2008 was a huge turn down, um, biggest one. And then 2010 was like a little mini boom recovery. And it's different too. Like I also wanted to talk about like, I like how in some ways Alberta is kind of counter cyclical to the Fraser Valley a lot of the time. Like I remember back in the day, it was booming in Calgary. You couldn't buy more than one unit in a building, but the Fraser Valley was ice cold, you know, and then it switched. And and so it's it's kind of good if you have a portfolio in both areas that, you know, if your your BCs can carry your Alberta vacancies through the downtimes, and then maybe hopefully Alberta will come do the same in return. It should. Yep. Yep. Now, okay, so thank you. I, I know that was <laughs> thank you for the update on what you've been doing since then. That's a fantastic look over the past five six years. And um, now I'm going to pivot the conversation into going down two avenues, Derek. Avenue number one is you have an extremely um, proprietary and unique business model on what you do with your super suites model. I want to talk a little bit about that. And then we're going to pivot into what you're doing down in Texas and some of the potential opportunities that are down there. Does that sound like a good plan? Sounds great. Okay. So, so describe your business model, Derek, in as quick as you can. So, you know, there's long-term rentals. Everybody's familiar with long-term rentals and everybody's familiar with um, short-term rental Airbnbs kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You're kind of in the middle, are you not? Right. So what we do at Super Suites is we help people that have had flood, fire, maybe a tree fell on their home, their home's temporarily unlivable, and the insurance companies are going to cover their rent while they stay in a Super Suite for a minimum of one month. But our average tenancy is to like a mom, a dad, two kids, and a little dog who went away for a week, their dishwasher flooded their house, or maybe they live in a condo and they were affected by another person above. And, um, you know, they're going to be there for an average of 68 nights. That's the corporate housing average stay. And so I like to refer to that versus Airbnb, which is like 4.8 to 5.3 nights average stay. So it's, it's quite a different animal. Um, you know, a lot of our tenants stay over a year. Okay. So, so what you do, your, your, your business model is you, you go in, you identify essentially new construction condos and townhomes, right? Mm -hmm. You kind of buy the, you know, I think you term coined the term before the end of the role, if you will, the, the last few units, either the first few or the last few, usually get a better price than those ones. Right. And then you, you have nice high end stuff and then you go in and you furnish them fully, is that, is that mm-hmm. correct? Right. So they're fully furnished and equipped. The idea is that you just have to bring luggage and food. So. Nice. Yeah. And then, okay. So you, you deal with executive corporate rentals, insurance displacements, 
Do you have mm-hmm. some seniors housing as well? Do you do any short-term Airbnb vacation? What what what's the kind of a breakdown of your portfolio? Yeah, so um, I would say eighty pushing eighty-five percent of what I do is super suites. That's been you know the most successful by far. And you mentioned insurance claims and corporate relocation, um, but there's also in-betweeners. So if someone's sold a home, their next home isn't completing yet, or they're building a home, it's delayed with supply chain um, issues, then they'll stay again, minimum for one month. We're we're not vacation rental people. We do have people uh, like uh, climate refugees who will come from Alberta, Ontario, Manitoba to maybe spend a month or two over over the winters or maybe their grand they just had a grandkid in the area so we get like that sort of pleasure stay if you will but it's it's really not like tourists at all okay so so okay thank you appreciate that and I I'm very interested in how you find those people and we're going to talk about that in a second but let me let's just chronologically do that so you acquire say townhomes and condos new complexes. Right. You then put a furnished package into it. What, what's a typical furnished package? What does it look like? What does it cost? How you know? Do you have teams that does that? How, how, tell me about the the furnished package you put into your suites. Yeah. So to put it simply, what what we've tried a lot of things over the years, but what we do currently is we get all our furniture if it's in Canada from the brick. So you know you have to know what to buy from the brick, and we get a commercial discount. We have a rep. And, um, you know, we can buy on certain tent sale days and things like that, where they have even more leeway. Um, you have options like uh, financing, so you can pay for the furniture out of cash flow if you're willing to defer your cash flow over the first year, um, which increases your investors ROI, lowers their cash required in the deal. It's a nice perk. Unless someone invests with a secured line of credit, then they typically just want to pay for the furniture so they can start their monthly cash flow to service their because that's one of the things about investing in super suites is that your monthly owner payments pretty well always will cover your interest that you're uh, uh, incurring on your secured line of credit that you use to invest. So it's like just a great deal that way. Um, Back to the furniture and stuff though, we also get a thing called a condo in a box. So we order that from Transworld Imports in Richmond and it's a little bit more expensive than going to like Walmart and JISC and Ikea and all this and piecing it together, but it's the time value. So it comes on a, a skid and it's got all your housewares, your cookwares, your your linen. Um, and then all you have to do is go and do your decor, your electronics, you know, these uh, sort of things top up at the HomeSense Walmarts. And uh, and then that's basically what's included in the suite. Okay. So, so, can you repeat that again? Condo in a box, and this is Lower Mainland. Where do you what, where do you get it from? It's called Transworld Imports, Trans-World. and they're like a hospitality company that would also supply hotels and things like that. Okay, and I would imagine they're are they Canada wide? You know, or they will ship, I believe, anywhere, which is another third party company, right? But we'll often weigh it out, like, okay, if we're going to ship to Alberta, are we doing a few units? Maybe, yep. but. If it's one, then we'll probably buy locally. Okay. But we're trying to have a Coca-Cola consistency of product. Whereas if someone stays in a Calgary Super Suite 
or a Abbotsford Super Suite, they're going to get the same experience. Okay. So essentially, you get kind of a condo set up in a box and you have it as an inventory checklist. You send it to someplace else. They have assembly that goes in shops, essentially shops, puts it together, puts it on a skid and delivers it to the home. Yeah, they, they, I believe they create the duvet covers and everything right there. They sew them there. Oh, wow. And then they put it, put it all on a, a big, big pallet pound in a box and then saran wrap it up and ship it on the courier for you. Oh, and wow. then they pull up at your townhouse, put it in the garage, and then everyone starts picking at it and put, putting everything away. And then um, who does the setup from there? I would imagine you or your team or do you hire, do you hire some labor for a week or two or who, who does the setup for you? It's usually like, core team members, you know, it could be my office manager will jump in because she's done 30, 40 of them and just help with the decor or usually like a move-in agent or uh, maybe uh, our housekeepers are going to jump in and chip in or a handyman. Yeah. You know, so it's, it's case by case. No, so, but I would imagine you save a great deal of time by, because I would imagine a huge portion of the time is the shopping, the selection of all the materials and getting it together and transporting it to the property. I imagine a lot of that gets saved by just using that third party company. Oh, brilliant. Hey, everybody. Hope you're enjoying today's special conversation. Just jumping in here really quick with a really special financing tip from our friends at Streetwise Mortgages. Dahlia Barsoom is back again, and she's going to share with you a financing tip. The differences of variable rates versus adjustable rates. Take it away, Dahlia. Hi, I'm Dahlia, founder of Streetwise Mortgages. And on today's episode, I would like to shed light on a financing tool that you may not be aware of and that can help you manage your portfolio cash flow during rising rates. The next Bank of Canada rate announcement, which is expected to be another increase, is scheduled for September the 7th, 2022. So you may want to consider this tool prior to such an increase. We all know that when the Bank of Canada raises the overnight interest rate, that has a direct impact on prime rates, which impact floating rate mortgages. Most payments associated with floating rate mortgages will increase as prime increases. But did you know that there are options with floating rate mortgages where the payment can remain constant, but what changes is how much of that payment goes towards interest versus principal? Basically, as rates rise, more goes towards interest. The only exception is when rates soar so much that you are not paying all the interest and the payment has to adjust to cover the interest due. The term variable rate is often used interchangeably for floating rate mortgages, but from a technical standpoint, a product where the payment changes as the rates change is called an adjustable rate mortgage. A product where the payment remains constant as the rates change is called a variable rate mortgage. Whether you choose a variable or an adjustable rate, it is pay me now or pay me later when it comes to payments as prime changes. In one case, you keep your monthly payments stable, but because you are directing more of the payment to interest as rates rise, you will owe more money on the mortgage relative to an adjustable rate at the end of the term. With an adjustable rate mortgage, you will stay on track with respect to paying the loan over the originally planned amortization as the payment adjusts with interest adjustments to ensure that you're still paying off principal. 
there is likely another 1.5% of overnight rate increases baked into the system between now and the end of 2022 up to 2023 before the Bank of Canada puts the brakes on rate increases. So if you're in an adjustable rate mortgage, every half a point increase will increase $100,000 of mortgage by about $25. If you can afford the monthly increase and your objective is to stay the course with paying down the mortgage, then stick with the adjustable rate mortgage. If you are concerned about the payment exceeding your budget or significantly impacting your cash flow, let's connect and discuss if a variable rate mortgage is the right tool for you, or if you should consider other strategies such as extending the amortization or clear, clearing some expensive debts that you may have. One of our senior advisors at Streetwise Mortgages would be happy to help you explore your options. You may reach us at info at streetwisemortgages.com. Cheers to your success. It's good. Yeah, we've always done that. And, and, in the box. Well, that's the one thing that I I'm, I would I think you're brilliant is you have brilliant you're a brilliant business operator you're a brilliant owner you're also a very systems detail guy you're 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 one of the best trained I know. by the best yeah oh no I, I have nothing to do with training you systems <laughs> relationships and follow through yes I, I'm terrible with systems um, I'm I'm well, good at a system to me is just a checklist yeah. and you know. Getting everybody to use them, including myself, is another thing. But we 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 try. Nice, nice. Well, that's the only way that you potentially could take a business model as labor intensive as yours and scale it to many markets, scale it to another country, scale it is because you have those processes dialed in. If you had to reinvent the wheel and you had no process, you would have been stuck at you know thirty eight properties a long time ago. You know what I did, Russ, was I took like all the early rain materials, like the due diligence checklist, the property, all that stuff. And then I started customizing it for the furnished rentals, right? So I have my due diligence checklist, my completion possession checklist. I put my logo on it, you know, took all the core rain points. But then just every time I learned a lesson, I would add it. Something becomes redundant. You take it off. Wow. So, so guys, it all comes down to many people were all taught the exact same thing. It is who executed against it, improved the process and took it up to the next level and now owns 150 plus properties going to another country and on a journey to a billion dollar portfolio. So brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. Okay. So you've got your, your product set up. Now, mm-hmm. where do you find the, you know, the insurance displacements, the corporate relocations, like I'm sitting there, uh, someone might be sitting here and listening and going, you know, I have a, I have a place in medicine hat, right? And mm-hmm. this might be perfect mm-hmm. to do a furnished suite or Kelowna or wherever, right? And it, they yeah. might have a, a, a basement suite in their house. I want to, I want one of those corporate relocation people in my place. Like, where do you right. find them? Where do you find those people? So, each market's a bit different, right? So if you imagine like a pie or, or I like to say, which peers are you fishing from? So we mentioned them, there's the insurance piece, there's the corporate piece, there's the in-betweener, and then there might be special niches like professional sports, um, healthcare, you know, it depends where your property situated, are you close to an airport for pilot training, you know, this kind of thing. But 
for example, Medicine Hat, I don't really know anything about, but I imagine there'd probably be, you know, like maybe some oil and gas type stuff. Um, you know, like Calgary corporate oil and gas is, is a much bigger piece of the pie corporate in Calgary, whereas Fraser Valley is much more insurance for me. Okay. Well, let's just take, um, let's take the Fraser Valley, which you're very familiar yeah. with. Um, so insurance displacement claims. So do I just phone up my insurance broker and just say, who do I talk to about talking about offering a, okay. a suite? Like, how, how, what would you do? Here's, here's the map that I'm aware of is you have to work your way up the ladder, right? So first, how it happened for me was the insured, they call them, the client that's had the flood. They find me on Craigslist, Kijiji, whatever it was back in the day. They say, hey, you know, I've had this, like, could I rent your place and furnish it? Um, the light bulb, you know, goes on. It's like, um, that's kind of how you get in. And then you might get introduced to an insurance adjuster. Well, anytime I ever met an insurance adjuster, I've carefully saved them in my database, right? So when I go into a new area, I'll do one email blast to all my insurance adjusters, which I've got like hundreds and hundreds of like legit working producers that I'll send it to and uh, just build your database. Right. But the challenge that mom and pop operators, which I consider myself one have is that if you just have one or two or six or even 10 properties, these insurance adjusters are so busy that they, they want to deal with a bit bigger operation, you know, um, because they, they don't want to like reach out to you and you say, Oh, sorry, I'm booked again. I'm booked again. I'm booked again. If you turn them down, like, you know, back to back, they're not, calling you anymore. So it's tough to get over that hurdle of, of, you know, it took me 10 years to, to get over, but you can also work with the bigger companies, you know, like the super suites. Well, we don't do it like this, but a high street or a premier suites, you could kind of work with them, make your inventory available in their program or so they know you, they can overflow to you and maybe they rent off you for three grand a month and they mark it up to five grand a month. So maybe you like can be the little fish on the whale that way and get exposed to relocation agents and insurance adjusters, um, you know, or else you just market yourself and try to get lucky and build a, a relationship. It's all relationships, right? Just with one insurance adjuster, like 80% of my business comes from 20% of the insurance adjusters. So mm-hmm. you just need a few key relationships. You know, I'll get a text, Surrey question mark. Yes. Okay. Boom, 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 boom. Like they're tucked in that night. Oh man. Hang on. Woo wee. Brother, 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 brother. Drop it. Hang on. Oh, where's the fire? I the fire drop of, how about a bomb? There we go. (laughs) Dropping the mic. Hang on here. What, what happened to the fire? There it is. (laughs) And then back to where you find these people. It's, it's online. Yep. It's, you know, pay ads on Google. It's, boots on the ground. Like when I'm suffering vacancy, I will physically drive around to the business parks and go right past the no soliciting signs and just, you know, greet the, ask for human resources, compliment them, bring some little donuts, you know, Mm -hmm. and, and, um, you just got to do direct marketing. Yeah. We'll we'll pass. I've passed Sandman at the door at the airport doing the same thing. Yeah, it's guerrilla marketing is really what it is. Yeah. You're just doing, you're just whatever it takes. And quite honestly, gang, if you're sitting there and you have maybe a unit or two, 
if you see, keep, keep scanning the newspaper articles, any big job announcements, any new companies coming into town. Google any, top employers. Yeah, any, all the companies that are hiring, all those kind of things, and just have the conversations. And honest to goodness, all you need is like Derek said, you need a few really good. And then what you do for those insurance adjusters and corporate relocators is you make it easy for them. You make their job easy. They send you a text, Surrey, question mark, Derek sends back, I've got four, what do you want? Here's the thing, Russ, in this business is that it's all the details because the person, maybe they lost a pet, maybe they lost all their personal belongings. They are stressed to the max, right? And now you're going to give them the white glove and they know that when they hand them off to you, they're not going to be calling the adjuster every day saying, when is my home ready? This place is horrible. The landlord's not responding. The Everything's in, not working over here. Oftentimes they're going to like the super suite so much because it's in a resort style community or it's a penthouse or that they're, they're going to be like, okay, well take as long as you need on the repairs. And then it makes the adjuster's life easy. Yep. And, and another little thing to point out is that when you get into that level, you have to be willing to wait two, three, four, five months to get paid rent. And that's why you can charge the big bucks is because there's kind of a finance component in there. And, and we also offer insurance claims seven days notice to end as opposed to everyone else is 14. So it's minimum one month and then insurance claims can give seven days notice. So they pay for the flexibility, right? Right. Okay. So did, did I hear correctly that you potentially could be carrying mm-hmm. expenses for a property for five, six, seven months before you get paid? It's, it can be killer. Yeah. Wow. However, there is a, you know, at the end of the day, you're sitting there going, well, I'm not doing this for charity. At the same time, you are getting a premium because of that. Now, what? Well, the longer they take, yep. the higher you quote them next time. Right. <laughs> Makes sense. But, but what is the premium typically? So, for example, let's just take one of the places, you know, quite clearly out in the, in the, in the valley. Um, mm-hmm. What would a, something like that be a straight rental for? And what are you getting mm-hmm. for a super suite for it? The spreads in the last two years have just decoupled like crazy because of the rent controls on traditional rents and the fact that in in the short term rental business your most expensive suite is your is your last suite similar to the hotels. So if you have one or two, you know you have to have some rate integrity. But right now, for example, we're breaking a lot of records where we're getting like two fifteen, two twenty five a night for a townhouse. Um, for minimum one month. And that same property on the pro forma, maybe I used 165 or something a couple of years ago. So it, it could be almost three times more rent right now if you nail the market like that, right? But you also are going to have a lot more vacancy. right? And you, you got to make hay while the sun shines and, and sock it away for the next two-month vacant stint. Well, I would imagine you have to have very tight controls on the cash flow as well of what's coming in, what's going out, because some people might not be able to absorb a few months of not having things in there. But, you know, are you so are you telling me, Tipic, some t- in some cases, that if you're getting, say, $2,000 a month as a straight long-term rental, you potentially can get up to like six 6000 a month as a furnished suite? Yeah. Okay. But that's, that's at the top of the delivery chain. Uh, that's like all the details that's like two weeks worth of initial toiletries and disposables and all the details buttoned up. If if you're kind of like, you know, the plates don't match and the, uh, it's kind of all included, but not this or that, then you're, you're, you're waking your way down that rate premium scale. 
Understood. Understood. So, okay. So, so there is, there is some reward to the risk of doing this on and, and, and guys, I'm always mindful when I'm talking to somebody with 15 plus years experience and hundreds of thousands of dollars of mistakes and challenges. And, and I don't see too many gray hairs there yet, Derek, you're, you're doing something right, I guess maybe, Oh, getting a little bald on top. (laughs) (laughs) But, and I always have to be just very mindful that it's a process. It's an evolution. Derek learned a lot of these things by just doing it and really, you you were a pioneer in a lot of this. There was no one really to teach you any of this, was there, Derek? Well, I wouldn't say that. No, there was like, a few. There was a few, but there wasn't like every Tom, Dick, and Harry is tre- teaching a training course on buying a rental property. But to do furnished suites, there wasn't a lot. You know what? My special like addition to the the leaves on the knowledge tree or whatever. I think that was unique uh, from what I found is that all the other operators basically take on people's properties and inventory and they manage it. They do a 60, 40 split. You know, they charge fees and things before the split, but they don't share in the ownership. Whereas because my experience through right from the beginning, joint ventures, um, I own everything. Right. So that's the key difference is that maybe these companies have done really well on cash flow all these years, but I guarantee they wish they owned a lot of this stuff. And there's a lot of benefits to being the landlord direct. So when something breaks, I'm like, fix it. Um, Got it. You know, things like that. Okay. Now, now, you and I, Derek, could talk endlessly. Oh, on the, oh go ahead, please. I wanted to give credit. Sorry, Russ. Yes. Back to the question. I wanted to give credit to where I got this idea from because it wasn't an original idea by any means. So Catherine Brooker, a Remax agent from Calgary, came out to Coquitlam, I believe it was, when we had quarterly meetings at Rain back in the day and told us about how she was doing this on houses in Calgary for oil and gas executives. And I had this chance encounter in Abbotsford with a solution staffing company who I still work with today. And then the idea was kind of hatched. But even the term super suites was something I would read in the RAIN materials, like in case studies and stuff. But Fort McMurray specifically, it was a term that was used for fully serviced and equipped suites. And I started referring to our stuff as super suites, just in our ads and stuff. And then eventually I got the light bulb to check if it was a trademarked thing and it wasn't. So I, I trademarked an existing term in the marketplace. Nice. Well, and, and just as an FYI, Derek, um, when I was doing some research looking on, I think supersuites.com is available for sale. Now, I don't know how much it is or the price of it or any of that kind of stuff, but if you I are, do, <laughs> okay, I went down. Well, you have too much. You have supersweets.ca. Uh, we just went with supersweetsusa.com because those dirty dogs didn't want to make a deal. Oh, really? How much were they? How much, if you don't mind me asking, how much were they asking? Um, they weren't even responding okay. to our offers, so we weren't. Uh, we weren't coming to an agreement. Nah, I understand. Now, just as an FYI, Derek, for you, um, I, th- I think, you know, I'm not trying to correct you or anything. I just want to credit where credit is due. Catherine Brooker, I believe, is from Edmonton. Oh, and and, yeah. and originally, 
the super sweet um, concept, I believe, was Tim Johnson originally was it? created something for his Fort McMurray properties. And honestly, all it was was just a flyer and one little checklist that, of, of a document that Rain members had access to. And a few wow. people took it. Catherine took it to the next level. And then you've taken that and pioneered it even to another level above. That is so cool to learn that after all these years that yeah. that's where it came from. That is like some meant to be stuff. Yeah. Now, here's the thing is I, I could be I could be wrong, but I believe that was the origin of all that. But here's the thing is, you know, guys, you don't have to have a, a completely raw, unique idea. What you can potentially do is take something that somebody has already done and do what Derek has done and just um, systematize it, put a process in place, and then grow and scale it. Okay? Okay, so perfect. Now, the, here's the thing is, I was just going to say is, Derek and I can talk to the cows come home on furnished rentals, executive rentals, corporate housing, kind of that middle tier Uh, what I would call between short-term and long-term. Now, we could go on and on, but I do want to keep this under 17 hours today. <laughs> and, and But here's what I want to do. I want to ask, and here's the ask of everybody, if you're watching or listening to this, would you like some more detailed training materials on corporate rentals, furnished suites, um, executive rentals, the stuff that we're talking here? If you like more detailed training on that, leave a comment drop me an email note and say that you'd be like to be interested in that. And then Derek and I can, if there's enough interest, we'll put together some materials and we'll keep, keep the conversation going. Okay, gang. So if, if it's of interest, let her know. Are you, are you down for that, Derek? Absolutely. All right. Okay. So let's, let's talk about your pivot going down into the U S down into mm -hmm. Texas, into the Dallas, Texas corridor. What, mm -hmm. um, I imagine there's a, a thousand and one hurdles you've had to jump over, but but give me give no. me an example of what you're buying down there, what you're seeing, sure. what are the preliminary numbers, and what you're doing down there. Yeah, I love this. My favorite topic, you know, like you, it's like when we get super interested in something. I'm just a sponge, and I've just been taking the fire hose of knowledge for that area probably for a year and a half or something now at least maybe going on two years. So I, I follow all the local podcasts and kind of got, got my ear to the street with, with the local real estate clubs and stuff, just kind of learning the climate. And essentially they were just kind of, you know, a quarter behind us in our, our market cycle. So I was able to go in initially and uh, just, you know, reached out to a realtor that I liked on YouTube um, first for a home for myself, which is kind of what he specialized in high end, um, you know, detached homes, but he's been helping me now with townhouses and condos. And the first deal that we did was actually a, a pre-sale in a place called uh, North Line. And this is kind of like, so if you, if you have Austin, the growth corridor is kind of like North South, of course, East West as well, but the lion's share, like the, how the Fraser Valley, the path of progress is to the East in general. Um, the lion's share of the growth in Austin is to the north. So places like Leander, Georgetown, Liberty Hill, these are kind of like the Surreys, the Langleys, the Abbotsfords, just outside of, of the core. And this north line is going to be the new core outside the core. So the other place I've seen this term is Seton and Calgary in the southeast, where it's just like a new core out in the suburbs where they're connecting with light rail to downtown and just a lot of density and a desirable live work play type lifestyle. But 
long story short, um, it's an award-winning developer, Novak Brothers, local builder. And we were able to check out their previous project, which we wound up buying units in. But the first deal that we did was a uh, 3,600 square feet of living space, approximately a townhouse. It's um, a three bed and a flex, I believe. It's got a huge rooftop terrace. And uh, we paid 750,000 US for it. And here's the cool thing is that we put down, I believe, 20,000 US as our, what they call the earnest deposit. And now we just wait for construction, which is next year. It'll be completed probably Q2 or so. They're saying Q1, but I'm expecting kind of Q2. So we bought that one unit. We knew that the developer was doing structured price increases. They went all the way up for the comparable unit. They were asking 900. I just asked my realtor today to get a check checkup because I suspect it's probably back down to 850 or less with this little correction that's happened over the last few months. But still, we had an opportunity in that member how I said they were a quarter behind us I saw the market already cooling here they thought they were at the end but I was like this is still very affordable because Langley was like 1.2 million for a, a townhouse half the size and half the quality um, even after conversion of currency it was just crazy price per square foot different difference but that's our first deal so that's a townhouse under construction. You know, I didn't buy more because they were already asking more for the other units. So I just got in with that one at 750. There's no transfer tax on it. There's no GST. You can literally budget like one to 2% tops for closing costs. So when you buy a new property for 750 here, it works out to almost 800,000 wow. with the taxes, right? Um, and we don't get a GST rebate, none of that. It's crazy. It's so refreshing. And without the taxes, there's no state income tax. Did you have, did you have something there? No, no. I was just, I'm, I'm sitting here. I'm, I'm trying to keep track. Is a 3,600 square foot townhome for, and 750,000. Some people say, well, that might be high. No, that's not high. Right? No. We're in our area around here. You can't even get a shoebox condo for, for something like that. Um, and you only, and you tied it up for $20,000 down payment. Exactly. And we made on paper, you know, over a hundred. So it, it's just a really good start for our new super suites limited partnership too. And yeah. I call it super suites or I call it SSLP two seed, you know, so we, we plant these seeds. And then what I do is I, I partner up with my investors at my original pricing terms. So it's built in equity when, when they sign on essentially <laughs> the second deal because I like that building so much, we looked at Novak Brothers' previous project that they just completed nearby in Georgetown, which has been getting a lot of press. Like these are top growth areas for population for in the USA for towns over 50,000. Like these are in the top three. So 10 years ago, there were like 10,000 people there. Now there's like 80,000 people. So it's, it's really, really booming. But we went to uh, Georgetown to what they call Brownstones at the Summit. Our other project is Brownstones at Northline. We we now found out that 10, 15 minutes away, what we just paid $750 pre-sale, resale sellers were selling the exact same floor plans, like five years old, beautiful properties for like $643 is what we paid for the, the next one there. So I said, they haven't gotten the memo that 15 minutes away in Leander, they're selling the same thing for $750. So this is same rents essentially. 643 and I don't usually buy resale but in this case we we scooped that one up 
And we also scooped up another one in there. Wow. Um, that we paid 685 for. So, so, but, and you're, you know, you're taking your model that you've perfected here and you're taking that exact same model down to, to Texas, are you not? Exactly. And there's going to be lots to learn and, you know, which piers to fish off. But uh, we did rent our first, uh, rent to our first tenant. And it was kind of fun. It was a corporate tenant, corporate relocation for uh, the biggest bowling chain in the world. It's called Bolero. And it's like one of these destination, like, you know, bowling alleys. That's just like a wonder park for, for kids. They do everything so big down there, but they brought in a new manager and they actually are paying 6450 us for that property that I paid 643 for no tax. So they're paying 6450 us per month, 8,200 or something Canadian. Holy moly! For a, that's for our a, record. That's a record for anywhere for yield for a for place us. that you paid six fifty and change, give or take. Yeah, Holy. yeah, and we furnished it, you know, beautifully yeah. on the on the rich side, probably twenty five grand and in, in that kind of thing. Upgraded a few pieces because it was re- resale, new mirrors and stuff. Yep, it's got a private elevator, Russ. Oh, jeez. Now, so would condo fees be extremely high? Like, what kind of a? Okay, let's just say that's a typical month. That's a month. It's going to be vacant some months, not or whatever. Yeah. What kind of cash flow does that see on a monthly basis if you're getting those kind of numbers? And I know um, there's lots of variables. There's yeah, you know, financing a, costs and stuff like that. But I imagine you would have had to have pulled a, created a pro forma for something like that. Right. So here's 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 something for you. And I've seen the same kind of product in Edmonton, but it's essentially a freehold or fee simple townhouse. So we have shared walls, but if our roof needs replacing, it's on us, windows on us. So the HOA fee really just governs like uniformity, which I like because in Edmonton, we've got shaggy lawn here, short lawn here, shaggy lawn here, you know, stuff in the yard here. So the HOA manages tightly, but the HOA fee is like 50 bucks. And it's still fairly new. Would you say it's been five years? It's only five so years old. That, that, this is a weird thing I've never seen. But this, let's say this complex is like 100 units. Yeah. It, they built it over like eight years. So it's like this building, they probably built it on cash flow, I imagine. So the, the, this one is like, you know, eight years old. So is this one, these two are like this years old. So yeah. Yeah. And I would imagine you're looking at these as not that these aren't going to be forever hold properties, you're going to hang on to it until before some of the things need to be replaced, the roofs, the windows, the stuff to start. Once the deferred maintenance starts kicking in is a good time to take the asset, cull that one from the portfolio and get a new, another new one. I just came up with this recently that like dog years. So in super sweet years for real estate, like one year equals three or four. Got it. So it's like, it's kind of musical chairs in a lot of these things, right? So like, once the shine comes off and the warranties come off, I like to purge it out unless it's a real like strong earner or compelling reason to continue holding. You just wait for that real seller's market and get it fairly close. And then you purge out the ones that are like five to 10 years old. Nice. Nice. So you've, you've bought your first, did I hear correctly? You bought your first three or four so far or where are you at? So we bought the one in North Line yep. off Novak Brothers for 750. We bought the second one for 643. We bought the third one for 685. They're all essentially the same floor plan. Uh, and then I have my own custom home that we're really excited about under construction in Santa Rita Ranch. Oh, so you're, which, you're moving down there, aren't you? I'm going to be spending probably like at least half the year 
down there. I imagine like six to nine months a year down there and back up here for summer and boating. Wow. So, and then you also have a, a target of you want to acquire 50, don't you? Five zero units in what kind of a time frame, Derek? That's for Super Suites LP2. Yeah. And like we've got, I guess, three in that so far and we were writing offer on actually another one at the brownstones i think i got it accepted today um and it doesn't have the rooftop terrace and no private elevator but 618 wow oh hang on and 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 a whole different environment like i just said no no just this much earnest yeah i want 10 business days for subjects i want 60 days from then for completion. Yeah. So October 5th, you know, it's just uh, back to the little buying. Uh, or you could actually <laughs> get terms with things and, and actually exactly. negotiate and stuff. So did I, <clears throat> did you say correctly that you just got an offer accepted? Just was it today or recently? I We're like right there. Okay. We've agreed on everything. I'm getting it partially furnished too. Okay. Um, but they just wanted me to increase my earnest money. Yeah. And I said, you know what? Just let me know if you want to take it or leave it. Because yeah. my appetite, I, I'm pretty busy. So. I suspect I'll take it. Right. Well, an early congratulations with a bomb. Right? <laughs> well, that's awesome, Derek. So, and and I, I've, you and I, like I said, we've been talking an awful lot about this project. And one of the reasons why I'm putting my name behind this project, and I'm very excited about this, is I want to be part of this as well, is because of just Derek's business model, Derek's character as a person. Um and I think there's an incredible opportunity. You, you've taken something that not everybody can do. You have to have a very specialized, unique knowledge, operation ability, a level of execution that not everybody can do. And you're making it available for people that if they just want to invest into it and not have to do the work, right? Great. Yeah, we buy the farm for what it yields, not just for what it might be worth one day. So, you know... Super Suites LP1 was very successful, um, you know, paid dividends regularly. We're surpassing the performa. We're, we're three years into like a seven-year limited partnership. So it's nice to do the cookie cutter thing, the repeatability, you know, you get good at it and we can show everyone coming into LP2. Yeah. Here's what actually is occurring in LP1. Nice. Now, now we could go on and on about the opportunity here, but what, what I'm going to do here, and we're going to wrap up here soon, but I want to put it out to anybody who is listening or watching this, that if you'd like to be part of maybe this uh, project that uh, Derek is putting together, and, you know, I'm, gonna, I'm part of it as well. I'm putting my name behind this as well. Uh, but not as much as you know, not to the extent that Derek is the, the Derek's the Derek's the guy here that's taken the, taken the bull by the horns. If you'd like to be part of it, um, let me know. So there will be some contact information in the um, in the show notes or in the on the description below. If you're interested, book a time to have a conversation with me. This is not for everybody. Um, you need to be an accredited investor. You need to have, you know, um, a, a significant uh, a portion of uh, financial well-being. And uh, if you are interested in getting involved in stuff, we can get together and I'll connect the dots. And maybe Derek and I'll have a webinar or two if for just people that are just interested. Or maybe, Derek, maybe we can get together and have like a wine and cheese social or something. Yeah, that would be awesome. Yeah. And, you know, I'm happy just to give back and try to help pass the torch and educate. Um, one, one, one thing about uh, LP2 that 
is a, maybe a good thing to mention is that it's 100% Canadian investors. Okay. <clears throat> and we've taken the extra steps to make it easy so that they don't have to worry about any U.S. tax implications. We basically look after that all that on the corporate side and they just file their Canadian normal tax returns. Got it. Now, Derek, what would be your best um, summary if you're, say, why somebody would want to invest in this Texas property versus maybe um, a British Columbia Fraser Valley property as well? Now, don't get me wrong. You live out that way and you you wish that the numbers and everything made sense because you would just keep acquiring more. But, w- mm-hmm. you know, why why the pivot? I think there's just a lot, there's a lot of reasons like the, you know, the whole even macro trend of the migration to the Sun Belts, similar to what occurred to the West Coast. Um, it's just growth, right? It's the 12 fundamentals. It's these kind of job uh, announcements and stuff. And just the people that are moving to the area, supply and demand, everything that I've learned at Rain and um, everything in my gut and my experience uh, tells me that the next you know, six to 10 years will be a good time to, with, with Dodd buying window, um, will be a great, great run. Well, and, and similar, similar to the Fraser Valley. Absolutely. So you, you've taken what you've seen in another <laughs> market and you're recognizing in a, in a new market exactly what you've already have seen and you want to get in at the bottom of the wave as opposed to the top of the wave. I think I have a competitive edge down there in that I have a lot of mixed use multifamily experience, whereas it's a very relatively new thing down there. These new master plan communities, like one I should mention is called Leander Springs. And they just do these massive, amazing, you know, it's a a four acre man-made lagoon, crystal clear lagoon with retail and commercial. But I imagine that I'll probably be the only show, show in town that has four units here, two units here, because they're much more like, okay, it's a whole building for rental. Um, But I kind of know the the ins and outs of how to operate and also put my name on the condo boards and HOA boards and be a good actor in the community because we do operate in so many buildings in so many provinces. Like I've already spoken personally to the HOA president as I purchased these units. They know what we do. No, hundred percent. And, and Derek has, uh, you've prepared and now brother, this is some of the best work I've seen with some of these slides and, and an entire package and presentation deck and things like that. Now guys, if, if you want, Derek and I can take the time, maybe another call or a, on, a, on a webinar if you're interested, and, and we'll we'll actually present this to to the people that are interested in this as well. But you you've done case study after case study, fundamental after fundamental, and 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 you know what, Derek? At the end of the day, the the black and white numbers make sense too. Like, and that's one I of like the best to, reasons. This is not a sales pitch, but I think something that anybody should be proud of, it, you know, is your track record and. I'm I'm really want to keep my record of never having lost an investor's money. So, you know, I'm very cautious not to oversupply. That's why we now do two townhouses here, four here. You know, I've I've learned from oversupply and and I like to say I picked this up last week, you know, my capital, our capital is is coward. Nice, nice. It's courageous and coward, right? All at the same time, yeah. Uh, Now, gang, if you are interested, um, Derek, would a good place for somebody to check out things. So you you have a website that's just been created. And and again, brother, this is some amazing work. Super sweet. Shout out to uh, Jeremy at uh, Kamloops Marketing. He did those slides. He did this. He's he's uh, he's amazing. Yeah. So super sweets usa dot com is a is a place to go check that out as well. 
Uh, so guys, just one more time. If you are interested in doing this, send me an email. Start start with me. Bring Send me your questions. Send me an email of that you'd be interested. And then maybe Derek and I can put on a, um, a separate webinar. Or if there's, if there's a few of you, like I don't expect there's going to be hundreds. You know, I'd love to be hundreds. But, you know, we want to keep this tight. You know, half a dozen to a dozen people would be great. And, uh, and it's not for everybody, but if it is for you, I think you're going to be very, very happy with your opportunity here as well. So good. What's the best place for somebody to get hold of you, Derek, if they want to reach out to you and, uh, send you a thank you card or something, uh, that you've touched and in- inspired them? Yeah, that's great. I've, I've had a few people come out of the woodwork in the last few months that are now working with me and one's even re- relocating from Red Deer out here to be my right-hand man. So you never know who you're going to connect with that, uh, you know, feels compelled to reach out. But I would say just Google Derek Peaver. Um, you know, to be honest, email is a great way to at least like schedule a call because my phone just blows up 24 seven. You're not going to get me just on a random call. Um, but uh, social media, I'm on Instagram, I'm on Facebook. Yep. Awesome. And I want to do one final thing here for you, Derek. Two things. Two things. Um, number one is I wanted to just acknowledge. I always like to acknowledge the person that I'm having a conversation with, of how how you've grown, like how you show up from you know that that fellow with the the the, the sneakers and the you know the, 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 <laughs> that you would come in and and you were just you were you were. The best way I would describe you is you were a sponge, like you were a sponge of knowledge. You would just soak everything in, everything as much as you possibly can. And now you're the tap, right? You know, a sponge soaks in the water from the tap. Now, Derek, you've become the tap where you're pouring into other sponges across this country. And um, and that doesn't come by accident, and that doesn't come overnight. That comes from a lot of hard work. That comes from a lot of relentless pursuit of excellence. And I just wanted to acknowledge how amazing you are as an investor, a person, and the father you're becoming at this all at the same time. Thank you so much, Russ. That's that's uh, it means a lot coming from you. You know that. Yeah. You know when, when I, I had completely run out of cash ideas. And that's when I started reading the joint venture secrets and doing the acres. And that's when really I turned it into a business or else I'd still be on the tugboats today. Yep. And you know, then- listening to your CDs about handling objections. Like I remember Carson and I driving over to investors houses after work one evening, sit down for two hours, you know, talk them into the deal, talk them out of the deal and, and uh, you know, getting nowhere, having great deals, but we just worked through it with your materials and got the mindset and then broke through the barriers. Awesome. Well, that deserves some fire here, my brother. And, and, you know, where there's fire, there's always a bomb shortly after. Uh, Thank you, Derek. That was a thank you for that ending, inspiring words. And I think we'll leave it there, guys. Um, Let's put it this way. I know when we recorded the first one, we talked about that there would be multiple ones to come. This is the next one in the series. And Derek, um, I'm looking very much forward to... um, collaborating alongside you on a few of your projects going forward. So gang, one final time, if you are interested in learning a little bit more about some of the things we've talked about, drop us uh, an email, reach out to myself through my, through the show notes below. There'll be a link or in the, in the description below. And with all that being said, Derek, have yourself a wonderful day, my friend. 
So, what did you think? Did you get some really gold nuggets? Like, there, you know, we were dropping bomb and mic drop moment after mic drop moment. Derek is just such a wonderful um, resource and such a wonderful inspiration and such a wonderful um, knowledge base. Like, seriously, the amount of action that he's taken, the amount of things that he's seen, the people he's connected with, and he just and he he just loves to give back very much like myself is we we come from the we're cut from the same cloth that we want to give back help others on their journey uh towards this game within real estate so we we dove deep into this um and and, and here's the thing you know often as as deep as we do go there's probably another 17 more layers that we could have gone and that's why in this episode i asked a couple questions if if you're interested in more edumacation i said that i got stumbled on it again more edumacation why would i say edumacation more education materials say that. that's why i'm stumbling education materials not edumacation but hey I'm going to coin a new phrase. Maybe this is going to be edumacation. Huh? How's that? Let's see if it sticks. We're going to edumacate you on how to do this with all these materials. (laughs) Oh, we do have fun recording these podcasts now. (laughs) I'm sorry. I'm I'm laughing at myself because (laughs) I'm having a lot of fun. So hope you can tell that I love doing this. Hope you can tell that this is a labor of love. Hope you can tell that these conversations and producing this podcast is something that, you know, I love to do. I I really do. When I look forward to when I get the opportunity to have a wonderful guest and I'm lining up some pretty cool guests, some people that I'm actually really nervous to, to have a conversation with. And you're going to just thoroughly love these conversations. Okay. So if you're interested, let me back backtrack here. Squirrel, hang on. Right. Squirrel. So if you're interested in more education materials on furnished suites, executive rentals, all that kind of wonderful stuff, let me know. I can definitely tap Derek on the shoulder and we can create some more content, some more materials for you. Plus, if you're interested in learning more about some of the investable opportunities and the projects that we talked about down in Texas, down in that uh, corridor between Austin and Dallas, of, you know, with Derek's business model of the super sweet business model, you can literally tap into that business model without having to do all the work, trials and trial and error, and all those, all the pain points of doing that. You literally can just tap into, you know, decades and decades of work of being part of that. So if you're interested in learning more about that, um, send me an email, hello at russellwestcott.com. And just let me know if you're interested in having a further conversation. I'll send you a link. We'll book a time and you and I could have a one-on-one conversation to see if this resonates with you. See if this is a fit for what you're looking for. Okay, gang, I think I'll leave it there. I got a long drive ahead of me and I'm, uh, you know, maybe I've ran out of words here for the day. I'm making words up, but I tell you, edumacation, it's going to stick. All right, edumacation. If I say it enough times, it'll drive you nuts, but it might actually stick. Okay, gang. And remember, in every interaction you have with another person, always leave them feeling inspired, encouraged, and always come from a place of love. Bye for now, everybody. Thank you for listening to the Russell Westcott Podcast. 
Before you run off, could you do us one final favor? Wherever you're listening to this episode, we encourage you to leave a review, share with your friends, and subscribe so you can receive the latest episode to keep you feeling inspired and encouraged for the entire week. Visit www.russellwestcott.com for more information, support resources, and upcoming speaking engagements near you. Bye for now. Bye for now.